Well, welcome, uh, you know, loyal listener, listeners. I don't know, Maureen. We're probably up to four or five at this point. I think with you on, we're going to double. That's a we're going to double. Goal. We're going to double our uh, development debate podcast audience. It's it's certainly the goal. But um, we have our favorite University of Michigan uh, loyal fan graduate. Very proud of you. I'll just get this over with now. You've beat my Buckeyes two years in a row in football. You know, still, it's a good time. <laughs> I'm, I'm still unhappy about it, as you know. But we're still you know, friends, I'm, right? That's the important thing. We are thing. still friends. Yeah. We are still friends. I told you before, we've taken my son up uh, to a couple of games and the fans uh, couldn't have been nicer, mm-hmm. you know, so I've, I, you know, I, I don't really even have that much negative to say about it. Maybe I'm getting soft. I don't know what's going on. But, um, but no, I do kid, but, but Maureen is the, she's the queen of the Detroit regional partnership and a, and a very ardent, uh, university of Michigan fan. So, and she's, she still talks to me and I'm a Buckeye. So maybe, maybe that's good for you too. I don't know. The start of peace in the world right here. Yeah. Maybe the politicians can start to get along. Maybe we'll get a debt ceiling deal if if if, if OSU and Michigan people can get together. Hey, these weren't in the questions you sent me, though. These, no, topics. you know, you gotta <laughs> you gotta spice it up. I mean, you can't just you know, I, I, you I'm can game. handle it. I'm not I'm not worried about you. I'm game. But so I, I'm really excited to have uh, have Maureen on today. She's she's been a good friend, um, uh, you know, through 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 many years. Um, and a, again, a really uh, seasoned uh, economic development veteran that is that's been in this business and and seen uh, you know a, a couple different cycles. We were we were just kind of talking about that. Well, let's start at the beginning. Okay. So tell us tell us about your first job in economic development. Where where did you where did you start this impressive career? Well, believe it or not, as a college intern when I was in grad school in Ann Arbor. Um, at the time, uh, it was an internship and they were the most computer savvy economic development group around. And so I was hired to do some economic analysis. I was in grad school for a public policy degree and because they were so sophisticated with computers, um, worked with the state, we were able to secure a grant and this, this is going to date me a little bit, but to buy a whole computer system for every economic development office in the state. Wow. So set those up, develop software applications for economic development and trained everyone in the state. Wow. And it was really fun. Now, am I as computer savvy today? It seems to have leaped ahead of me. Uh, But uh, that's how I got to know everyone in the state and really uh, examine all different types of approaches because economic development is really different in every community um, based on what the community wants. So it was great training, but that was it. I started as an intern. That's phenomenal. Well, if it makes you feel any better, when I was at a Ameritech phone company doing economic development in the 90s, we funded uh, the state's uh, website because no one had websites. So I we, we have a little I, history, right? I'm, I'm, I'm there with you and I could never figure out a computer program. So, you know, I, that's, that's just amazing to me. What, what made you want to do this? So you were um, public policy school, obviously a great public policy school. You probably could have gone a, a lot of different directions with that. What, what kind of led you to the world of economic development? You know, I um, originally thought in public policy that I was almost 
probably going to be a pollster or someone who did that sort okay. of more detail yeah. analysis. And I really, based on my internship, I like the marketing side a little better. And right. I'm fascinated in talking to companies and seeing what they do. And so, you know, and I've literally, I've talked to thousands since that time. Um, and I always find that the most exciting part of the job, what makes them tick? Um, you know, what are the obstacles that we can help with? Uh, so, but it really was the telling the story part that I think yeah. is my favorite part. Well, and but having that understanding how the technology works at all is an advantage, right? You know, because that, that mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the sales piece is important, um, but it's all driven by data, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's yep. the research that you do. It's, it's the data that you have on your side. It's understanding the data that's maybe not on your side. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, but at the end of the day, I think, I just think the most successful people out there know how to sell things. It, it, and it, that, that doesn't mean they're not science oriented, you know, and, no. and I, 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 as I say, I'm a, I'm not a real science major, I'm a political science major. Mm -hmm. But even if the hard science, engineering, doctors, you know, you name it, um, the ones that really do well are the ones that have a personality, right? You know, that can communicate. Absolutely. I have chosen staff without knowing their degree, just based yeah. on their personality. One of my most successful people right now, I met him when he was an intern, right? Yeah. And I wasn't clear where he was, what is getting his, what he was getting his degree in, but I really knew with his approach with people and the way he questioned and was, had that curiosity that he could do yeah. this. And there, you know, there's not a degree. I mean, there are programs now, but there really has yeah, been yeah, a degree right. in economic development. It's just an approach. And um, that is what apparently I have had that has caused me to have this long career, but really it's what I look for when I hire people. Right. Uh, but to your point, we have a super strong research department right now. I'd put them against any in the country and they are making the difference when we respond to our RFIs, when we talk, it allows you to really talk with authority when you have the data behind you. Yeah. And, and, you know, you understand I mean, the reality of the data is because when we're on the other side of that equation with, with a company, most cases, they know the data. That's right? a I mean, huge so, difference so, from when so, we started in this, right? Ask, yeah, you used, to, you used to ask for the data because you didn't know it. Right. Now you're asking the data just to confirm what you think to be true based upon your own, your own research. And, Very true. Uh, and I'm not saying you can't get a hold of data sets. Um, or have resources to, to to spend on data sets that that maybe some some wouldn't, or maybe there's a nuance, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, with your region that um, that you can focus on. But but anymore, I mean, the data is you know the data is kind of uh, out there. No, I agree completely, and I think I learned this from a lot of experience with international companies. You have the data, but sometimes it's important to tell the story of why that particular data is important mm -hmm. yeah. and what it actually means. So I think that really combines my love of storytelling with, you know, originally was hired as an intern to be more on the data side, like I said, but yeah. really was learning the marketing part. So it's, it's about telling your story, but telling it with the right data, with the truthful data and picking out what's important to your customer. Um, yeah. 
So it's fun how it's evolved in that way. But you're really describing good marketing, right? I think a lot of people have this concept of marketing that, you know, if you, if you, if you paint it and make it look good, that's marketing. And the reality is you can't market something that isn't true. When I, just an example, I did economics development in Phoenix for three years. Love Phoenix. We used to say the average temperature in Phoenix year round is 75 degrees. (laughs) That is not, that is true. If you come the middle of the night year round. But my nieces, my nieces, they're there right now in law school. And I promise you it's not 75 degrees right now. Oh no, not at this time of the year at all. (laughs) But you know, so there's ways you can tell the story, right? right? But I think now we just have to be sharper about it because yes, and this is what I tell people in economic development. Everyone knows everything about your community before they get there from a data mm-hmm. perspective. Um, and I'll share a little bit of what we do maybe differently with data, but it's all about getting the nuances then of the feel of the community and the ecosystems right. that you have and what the culture is. New yeah new, I think, talking points to what we had before. So uh, data is still, you know, king. I will say how we are using it now, very uh, targeted, is when talking about talent and sort of mirroring that with real estate. So we Mm -hmm. do heat maps of talent over sites. Mm -hmm. And that's our approach to helping companies choose the best location. Right. Isn't always the cheapest or the biggest or whatever. It's access to the talent that you need. Yeah. And so it is important that we study our data over talent and inform our customers. Uh, You know, and the other thing I will say that's important, and I always say this, you know, we used to be asked about water and sewer pipelines, right? Those were the pipelines that were important. Now it's all about talent pipeline. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just what talent we have today. But what do we project and how can we create talent that aligns with a company's investment, which isn't a two or a four year investment, right? No. So that's, you know, different nuances. And it's all about responding to our customer and really weaving in new technology capacity. Awesome. So how did you end up in Phoenix? Give give us that story. Yeah. Uh, You know, it was pretty easy one. My got married and my husband was going to graduate school at Thunderbird. There you go. There you go. (laughs) So all of a sudden the Detroit chick who never left Detroit was on a, in a moving van to Phoenix through a blizzard in the middle of the country, I will point out. And I loved that time there. Two things. Mm -hmm. I learned really to look at local priorities and different ways of doing business. Among the first things I learned, tax abatements were legal there. I thought, what? How is that possible? Well, because local government is um, revenue is generated from sales tax, not property tax. So I became a hero for locating car dealerships. I'm like, oh, I hope my friends in Detroit don't see this. Yep. But all of a sudden I was famous for car. We did like four announced in one day and front page, you know, of the paper. Um, And it was what... I learned a lot about listening to what the community wants, right? Mm -hmm. Not telling them. So when I showed up, you know, and I secured a job pretty quickly, because I would say in the Midwest, we were a lot further along in our economic development journey. I agree. 
than yep. a place like Phoenix. And um, they had some pretty ambitious goals. And I thought, wait a minute, I do auto suppliers and auto plants and manufacturing. What's all this about? <coughs> Excuse me. But you know what? We were able to accomplish that. And it was what the community wanted. So um, coordinated the first two-team spring training facility in Major League Baseball for the San Diego wow. Padres and the Seattle Mariners. Oh, my gosh. And I'm a huge baseball fan, so it was super yeah. fun. Um, and it was what the community wanted because they thought it would get them a hotel. <laughs> now when I go to that site, I get lost. I mean, there yeah. is a picture of me in the archives standing in the site with tumbleweed all around me. Oh my gosh. And now it's built out. So once again, and you know, as a baseball fan, building this was just like a dream. Right. But it was all about what did the community want? Yeah. And that's just an important skill to have listening to customers. And, you know, we have three customers, businesses, communities, and residents, not necessarily in that order. So we have to weave that all together to be successful. Well, and that, you know, we, we've done site selection deals out there. It, it's it's a really interesting, you know, high growth market. GPAC is, is your counterpart out there, as you know, very, yep. like you guys, highly functioning yep. uh, private sector or regional economic development group. Um, they've just seen tremendous growth. I think most of it's really from California, quite frankly. I, I you know, I think they just. when I was there. Absolutely. Yeah, That's where I it think came it's, from. And I'm guessing it's even more so. So you're in Phoenix. I think the reality is you, even when you're not in Detroit, you've never emotionally left Detroit. No. Because when I first met you, you were in Indianapolis. Yeah. And I, you know, in between Phoenix and Indianapolis, I came back here. I ran a very successful county program in Oakland County. I had a hundred staff people. It was oh my gosh. unusual. Um, it was economic development and community affairs. And we were known for our international work. Uh, so, and, and Oakland County has hundreds of international companies. At the time I was there, it was about the seventh wealthiest county in the United States. And oh. it was really global um, OEM tier one, tier twos. Uh, so I probably did it at, when I was at the county, maybe 35 global trade missions. Um, wow. And that continued then on. So I'm probably up at about 60 some, I lost track. But um, you know, we knew that we had a product that was appealing, a highly educated workforce, um, a great location with proximity to decision makers in the auto industry. And those right. were those were pretty much our calling cards that we used and had really great success. Um, and I would say that's the same for the whole Detroit region. We're a lot more global concentrated than I think. I think sometimes we forget about it because it's always been here. Yeah. Um but it's a story that we need to tell more about our region. You know, I look at Canada all day from my office. Right. And um, we have about 1,400 foreign firms. Um, and it's not just the jobs and investment, but it's the cultural diversity they bring to our yeah. area, which is really, yeah. um, uh, I think, makes it very interesting here and provides that comfort level. Well, and, you, you know, again, you, you don't have to have to sell us on the market. It's 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 big. Um mm-hmm dynamic obviously the home uh you know to the global auto industry mm-hmm. um what um and and you know michigan it, itself is a manufacturing powerhouse it's it's really mm-hmm. part of that you know what i'll call the industrial midwest um yeah. 
how how are you seeing that manufacturing industry kind of change in the last let's say five years yeah you know we're all facing a shortage of talent that is not mm-hmm. unique to michigan or ohio or the united states quite frankly right so obviously smart manufacturing has been a real strength at where we've seen growth and opportunity yeah. in auto but also outside of auto uh so having the talent that can adapt to these changes is super important and making sure the support services around help them adapt. We have, um, you know, questions on talent. Experience is really important in manufacturing. Yeah. Having stepped in a factory before is a good asset that, you know, the site consultants have told us your talent is very experienced. That's important. Right. Um, Right. So, you know, in manufacturing, it, it has to be a willingness to embrace the change. I will say, you know, in the past 10 or 15 years, there's really been a generational change, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, from companies that were owned, maybe second generation owned, you know, we don't need to change, we can ride this out, whatever. But I do see a great uh, shift in uh, the generational thought on what to do to be successful in the future. So, you know, our manufacturers ask for different things, ask for different types of talent, job training programs, but, you know, we're ready for it. We have to be um, ready for that change. Our, um, and I know you're going to ask me about this, but our EDA proposal really just embraced that. Um, And I believe that's why it was successful. Well, let's hear about your nice segue. Let's hear about your EDA, your your big EDA win, because yeah. I I, we, I think we were supposed to were you gonna we were gonna get together and then you you claimed you had a meeting with the president that that disrupted yeah and you know, you know I still owe you connecting. I'm never gonna you're never gonna let me forget but it was <laughs> legit it was it was a decent excuse I admit it it was decent you know I wasn't like washing my hair or anything I, had I understand to present to the I president understand. um I get it of the United States that president yes right. so um you know we uh when this uh uh, request for proposal came out, we got together and uh, the Detroit Regional Partnership was asked by several regional players, you should apply. We are seen as a regional uh, five and a half million population neutral yep. convener. So we put it all together. Um, we went out for RFPs on what should it be? And it was really to help accelerate economies that had been damaged during COVID. And we all took, yeah. we took a big hit in the Detroit area. When we asked for proposals, 18 of 19 were all around mobility. So thus was born the global epicenter of mobility. Uh, That's what we've called it. We had 140 people working on this with us from the OEMs and the tier ones to the small entrepreneurs, to the unions, everything in between. Um, And it really was to take a look at our assets and find out what could we do Uh, to really accelerate this global change in auto right now from internal Mm -hmm. combustion engine to electric vehicle and beyond. So, um, you know, we all agreed that we had a lot to lose if we weren't ready for the moment. We all were through 2009 and 2010, and that was not fun for those of us who went through it. So we wanted to proactively look at how can we help small and medium-sized companies talent and entrepreneurs meet the moment in this rapid transition. 
that's what our whole um, global epicenter of mobility is about. Um, we were one of 21 awarded in the country, one of the largest in the country, because auto isn't just important in Detroit. Um, yeah. It's equally important in Ohio and in Indiana. Um, one in between eight and 10 jobs in this country is related to the auto industry. Right. So we knew it was important. You know, my favorite stat from it is that we had to put together, what are your assets that you have? So we didn't create anything new. We leveraged the assets we already had, and we gave them the resources to diversify perhaps from Detroit to rural areas, from Ann Arbor to other parts of our region, to include historically excluded communities or small yeah. businesses that didn't have access. My favorite stat that we put together, we already have over 400 assets in this region that support the mobility industry. Wow. Um, there's no other region in the country or I think the world that can actually say that. Uh, yeah. So this was our putting together the list, taking an assessment and seeing what could we accelerate. So an example, Tech Town, we didn't get all the money, you know, that I have to mm -hmm. tell our investors that it didn't all come to the Detroit Regional mm -hmm. Partnership. We were just the convener and um, right. have a couple of pieces. Tech Town in Detroit is a very successful, longstanding accelerator for entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. They're one of our recipients and they have a really strong DEI program. Uh, they're yeah. housed at Wayne State University. Their funding is to allow them to take this success that they've had and expand it throughout our region. So it can go to Shiawassee County and Adrian and Flint um, it, to expand the access um, and expand the reach uh, that we have. So that was really how we put it all together. And I think it's making a difference already and it will because we can't have that supply chain um, broken or not yeah. ready for what the OEMs need. Um, right. And we looked at mobility from not just cars, right? I mean, yes, mobility is cars, but there's also delivery of healthcare and delivery of food sure. and food deserts and anything that moves. So uh, we're excited about what the possibilities are for it. And we were honored to get that designation. And I will always owe you a time on stage that I had to point <laughs> <laughs> Well, like I said, probably the best excuse I've ever heard, you know, and, and, you know, literally it's in the paper. So, I mean, you couldn't even really make it up. I mean, it was, you know, <laughs> there was a lot of proof of it. Exactly. Maureen, I'm not, I'm not saying people cancel meetings on us just to, and, you know, make up reasons, but I'm saying that was, that was just a good one. <laughs> so you're talking about mobility, you're talking about autos. Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously the, the big headlines um, that have been out there the last couple of years is around electric vehicles. I know that you all in the state, uh, you know, have been very engaged in this market, obviously, Mm -hmm. You know, you have as much to lose as gain and that we, we've mm -hmm. talked about that. I mean, that's yep. that's kind of the underlying story here is that that if you see where a lot of these EV facilities have been located in the U.S., not in all cases, but in a lot of cases, they kind of track where the domestic assembly plants are, auto mm -hmm. assembly plants. Yep. Because, again, it's you talk about workers. And again, a, you're in a region like yours that has five and a half million people and the 14th mm -hmm. biggest MSA you go with your assets and people are your assets, right? So yes. um, what are you guys doing in this, in this EV space? Um, you know, give us, give us the little Detroit EV update. 
Well, you know, I would start by saying 70% of our pipeline right now is in the EV mobility space. Wow. Um, which is amazing. And we keep wondering when that's going to switch, but that is what we're seeing. And I mean, we've had some really big announcements. Nell announced last week, 600 jobs. They're a Norwegian company. They will be building the largest hydrogen electrolyzer plant in the world here. Wow. Uh, so that was last week. Our next energy, which is um, a homegrown company from the Detroit region, announced last fall they are building a gigafactory to make um, batteries that last, um, that charge for twice as long. Wow. Car. So a lot of this technology is happening here. You know, we have a lot of smart people, a lot of smart engineers who actually are looking at the future. So what yeah. we are doing is certainly getting up to speed to learn about hydrogen and learn about the latest in battery technology and learn about the supply chain. And then we very, you know, when you talk about using data, we're very strategic in who we talk to. Last year, we did about 140,000 miles of going to see our customer. Um, it was mostly the first full year we could be back in three years to doing that. But um, we are very strategic in our outreach and who we talk to that, you know, need to be into the market, in the North American market, in the space, and uh, value uh, the talent and value the supply chain that's here. So, um, you know, I have a killer research department that actually does that. We have a lot of resources that spend time before we just do a blanket mailing, right? I mean, yeah, we're right. very targeted. And then our team travels. I have people this week in Germany and Israel. Uh, we've been this year in France and the UK and Canada twice. Uh, we're going to continue that. Uh, you know, going to see our customer. So, I mean, I know you, I know you lead with workforce, right? You know, that's, that's mm -hmm. clearly your strength. You've got the, the people and the experienced, mm -hmm. um, you know, workforce base in that, in that manufacturing and automotive sector. How have you dealt with the sites? I mean, that, that's one thing that I think I've noticed. Um, and, and we've done a lot of site development work mm -hmm. for, for private and public sector. But I mean, we've literally seen projects that, that ask for a thousand acres. I mean, just, and I don't know if you've seen that or that was just mm -hmm. an anomaly, but I mean, you literally looking at a five, 600 acre uh, site for, for a lot of these projects and that might be small. It might be even bigger than that. And it's that's, good. I haven't seen that before this. Now, you know, you've yep. been doing this longer than I have. And, 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 you know, if you look at any of those, uh, you know, beautiful old, you know, uh, auto assembly plants in, in Detroit, you, you know, you say, wow, that is a, that's one big building. So maybe there was something like that, that Henry Ford did or, or whoever a hundred years ago, but that those sites are massive and they have to have infrastructure, roads, water, sewer, power. And quickly. Um, yes. The speed to market is crazy. So I've never seen anything like it. Right. Um, we get the demand. I will say you're not going to find 2,000 acres in the city of Detroit. But right. as I mentioned, we have a very large region, which a great yeah. with has which has more rural areas that would have the land in close proximity to talent. That's really key. Right. I talked about those heat yep. maps. Um, we put together two years ago a program called Verified Industrial Properties, VIP by DRP. And we are using third-party engineer civil engineering firms Good. to do Good. a a tabletop assessment first 
on sites 20 acres and above. You know, our sweet spot isn't 2000 acres. It gets all the media attention, but we have yeah. a few mega sites in the hopper because I think probably three in the Detroit region makes sense, but really right. it's 20 acres and above doing that baseline assessment. So you bring a client and they need to be in in 18 months. We all know there aren't buildings available like there used to be in the no. past at no. all. And so we can say, here's five sites. We can assure you based on this tabletop assessment that has been done by a third party, uh, outside right. party, what the real time to market is to build on this yeah. site. And our goal is to have about 200 sites in this program. Um, wow. We've funded it at DRP. Um, we've received EDA funding uh, to make sure that, you know, the mobility industry, battery plants have a different footprint they're looking for. So we have to be ready for that moment. And we're also looking at some additional state funding uh, to really support this. And I think right now it's the quickest thing um, and the best piece of information aside from talent, but that we can provide is on sites. Um, you know, there's always a risk with these huge greenfield sites that they don't have commutable talent. We know yeah. that manufacturing talent only likes to commute 20, 25 minutes tops. Right. Um, engineering will go an hour out, but you know, some of these sites are in pretty rural areas and, you know, let alone talent, um, how long will it take to get the infrastructure there? So yeah. it's not as easy, you know, sometimes you say, well, there's lots of sites, uh, you know, Oakland County where I was before, which is a wealthy, uh, you know, mm -hmm. brains of the auto industry county, half of that county is rural and it will never develop because it's going to cost so much money to move infrastructure to it. No one's going to invest in that. So, yeah. you know, also think it's important to look at redevelopment as an option. Um, yeah. But boy, it is, it is speed to market on these things. You know, the customers want everything in times that we've just never seen. Well, and it's, and you know, I'm not going to tell you anything about the auto industry. You, you don't know, but the reality is it's a complete transformation. It's not political. Right. The EV stuff's not political. It's, 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 I jokingly say that, you know, the, the Detroit guys watched Elon Musk and figured out if he could make an electric vehicle that people were buying that they could too. And, but it is literally every major auto company in the world is transitioning to electric vehicles. And they it's the are. largest, yeah, it's the largest transition uh, that we've seen in an, in, in an industry, in my opinion, since the, since the assembly line, because it, it is this, mm -hmm. we've had the same basic engine yep. in that car that, that mm -hmm. Henry Ford and the rest of the guys did when they created the industry. Yeah. And it's, it changes everything. A hundred I mean, years it, ago. Right. Um, and it's absolutely. And, you know, I think in the United States, it's following global trends, right? I mean, I yeah. know the topic of hydrogen, much more advanced in Europe than here and in Japan, uh, but we're catching up quickly because we have to. And, you know, the U.S. is still seen as the global leader. So we need to be ready to meet this moment. Uh, so auto has been, um, you, you know, and the other thing you don't hear about, I mean, you and I, we pay attention to all this detail, right? The average person doesn't realize. So in the Detroit area, the billions that the OEMs and the tier ones are already spending as yeah. we speak, Factory Zero, the Stellantis plant in Detroit, General Motors yeah. in Lake Orion, Michigan, 
billion spent to produce electric vehicles, to retool, transition, and the supply chain's doing the same thing. It doesn't always, it's not always as glamorous when it's your existing companies spending, um, but we know they're spending. And, you know, we want to make sure the talent rises up to the moment, but obviously they do too. You know, people think, well, isn't it odd that the OEMs were right with you on this application for the Global Epicenter of Mobility? It's like, no, no, they were with us because they want to make sure the supply chain comes yeah. along and the talent comes along and the yeah. entrepreneurs because they embrace the people who invent cool new technologies and products that they can incorporate. So they were right with us supporting what we did. It's important for them as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's you know, they get it. It's a massive disruption of, you, you pegged it. It's one of the biggest industries uh, in the world. And it's, it's going to be interesting because again, it, it doesn't take as many parts, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's got threats and opportunities, you know, any place that had a engine plan or a transmission plan, you just name the, what the, are you going to do of an engine? What are you going to do next? Now? I think the good news is, um, and it sounds like you all have executed on it, that if you already have that industry in place, you should have a great shot to attract the new EV facilities because reality is they need talent. And, you, you know, know they I, need yep. I talked about manufacturing talent. We have that very experienced, you know, other states and it's a Midwestern thing, really. Yeah. The other thing about the Detroit area, we have the second highest concentration of engineering talent in the United States after Silicon Valley. And it's interesting because that number changes every year and we go one, two, one, two. So every year with re my research department, it's like, okay, when do we have the numbers in yet? Are we back up to one? We're two now, right? We change it when it switches. But considering the size of the market, that's pretty incredible to have that concentration here. Oh, and yeah. that's the talent that's gonna innovate and create and adapt the old technologies and the old techniques to the future. So we're really grateful to have that concentration of the engineering talent. Well, well. and you know, even better, your engineers can actually afford a house, um, you, you know, know, which would be different than Northern California and explains the challenges that again, beautiful weather, ton of money, a lot of positives, but I think they're, I think they're struggling with, with a lot of government regulation and very high taxes. Uh, and, and at the same time, um, just, I mean, we've just seen housing become more and more of an issue mm -hmm. and that, that is, it, is it available and what's it cost? Because when I, companies I are going to locate their people, they have to have a place to live. Yeah. And, and you know what, um, it's, it's fun when you're right out of school and you share a place with four people and you're, you know, third floor walk up or whatever. Once you put in a few years, you want to at least afford the house you grew up in. Right, right. That's really hard to do on the coasts. And, you know, yeah. we prefer to talk about our strengths rather than be critical of others. But, you know, the reality is the Midwestern does supply that affordable lifestyle right. that you can live. Um, and I do think that's an advantage. You know, there may be companies that we all know that I won't name who've gone back and forth between Northern California and the Midwest multiple yeah. times. And, you know, the reality is what you can pay an engineer for in the Midwest, you don't want to pay them three or four times as much on the coasts. Right. Right. Well, let's, well, let's, um, 
let me get this last question out. Yes. And, and, and we've talked a lot about auto. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you got more going on other than mm-hmm. auto. Yep. What, what, what's, what's kind of up and coming, you know, in, in the Detroit market that is kind of unrelated to the auto industry? Uh, we've seen a real growth in professional services. You know, the two largest mo- mortgage brokerages in the country are both located here. Yeah. So we see a lot of that, a lot of spinoff with that type of talent. Um, one of our recent successes, a company called Majorelle, uh, they do sort of data analytics. Um, that probably, I know there's a better description of that. My apologies, Majorelle, but data That's analytics. Okay. They came here to hire 400 people in the city of Detroit. They've been so thrilled with the talent. Uh, they're going to be at a thousand. Wow. They announced a little over a year ago. Uh, it's a global company. So we're seeing a lot of that sort of talent um, be matching up with opportunities. And, you know, smart manufacturing in general, obviously so much of what we do is automotive. We have a very strong defense industry here as well uh, yeah. with TACOM, uh, the tank command plant in Warren, Michigan, where all the army purchasing is done. Uh, that generates a lot of uh, companies who come here. And there is that shared technology between auto and aerospace and defense on topics like lightweighting and doing things smarter and better. So this is a good place for that shared technology to occur also. Mm -hmm. So we are seeing an increase there. So 70% mobility um, uh, in all forms, battery and hydrogen and others. But the rest is really a lot of professional services yeah. um, and, uh, you know, just smart manufacturing of other things. Yeah. And I, and, and again, we were at the IAMC conference in Detroit and got to roam around downtown and it seems like downtown's doing great. Um, it's you a know, terrific it's, time. Yeah. It's, it, it seems like, and again, you know, quality of place, right? You've got a lot of great communities. You have places that People mm-hmm. can live and raise a family and send send their kids to good schools and mm-hmm. afford a house. Um, so it it kind of gets back to that Midwest quality of place in a really big region. Yeah, which is you know, not not over, always easy to do. Over two million uh, workforce we have here. Um, it, that's bigger than thirty states. Wow. Just alone, our workforce, and it's not far. I mean, you. You complain when your commute goes from 30 minutes to 35 here, but the reality is we've all been in different markets where you're sitting in your car for well over an hour every single day. Yeah. Uh, so, and I do think, you know, the Midwest is special when it comes to the people and the yeah. lifestyle. Um, it, it just is someplace that we've seen, especially with our international companies that come here, they really embrace it once they see it for themselves. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, that, you know, Maureen, that was a great discussion. You know, I appreciate you not beating me up too bad. Uh, <laughs> we'll do a separate you know, one on football, maybe for in the, the fall. For the, for the, you know, for the Buckeyes. But I, <laughs> I thought it was a great discussion and keep up the good work. Thank and you. we uh, we appreciate everyone listening today. So have a great day. Thanks. Good to be with you. Thanks. To learn more about the Montrose Group services, please visit MontroseGroupLLC.com.